Who are we? What's our what's our identity? Who are we? I think in various stages of our lives we identify with different people. When we're children we identify with our parents. We emulate mom and dad and I'm sure you've seen commercials on TV or pictures, photographs of like a little kid with dad's hat on and his shoes and his tie with mom and a little girl and her mother's high heels, you know. And so we look up to our parents and that can be good, it can be harmful too. I think it depends on the home situation and the examples that are set. As we get a little bit older, we tend to identify with our peers. We're entering our teenage years, which is a long time ago for me, but I can still uh, remember remember that. You want to be accepted. You want to be validated. Um, I think that desire for acceptance and validation has a lot to do with the gang culture that we see in various cities uh, around the country, really around the world. Like Europe is infested with a gang culture as well. And that, you know, the guys and even the females, they want to be accepted as a form of val validation, something that they're not getting someplace else. But what about when we get older and, and grow into adulthood? Who do we identify with? Mostly culture heroes, I would think. Uh, successful people. Um, successful people from business, from entertainment, and even religious people. Uh, I know in, in churches, if, if a certain brother is a, quote, good teacher, outstanding teacher. Some people tend to get a little carried away with that and maybe put this, this, this guy up on a, on a pedestal. And then, he being only human, might succumb to something, might, might sin, might have a, make a major mistake. And people tend to get disillusioned with that, you know, and sometimes even angry and take it personally. But we do identify as adults with, with people who are charismatic and tend to be successful, whatever, whatever walk of life that it is. But as, as Christians, uh, as spiritual people, really what should our answer be to that question? Who validates us? Who are we as people? And I think, and I know, that... Uh, the answer should be that we identify with God. And He gives us our validation because we're created in, in His image. In Genesis, uh, the first chapter, and I do have, basically what I'm going to do is make some points and read scripture to, to back up those points. Okay. Uh, in Genesis, the first chapter, verses 26 and 27, it reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, 
according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, and all the earth, and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. It says God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And we're different from every other species or every other thing that God created. Why? Because we're created in him in his image and likeness. We as humankind, scriptures say, we exercise dominion and authority over the rest of God's creation. That's in Genesis 1, in verse 28. It says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. We have dominion over these other creatures in creation because of the result of being possessing the image of a sovereign God. Okay. We, we possess God's image. Now what does it mean to us, or what does it mean in general, to be in God's image or likeness? What does it mean or what does that involve? And that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. I think for one, we have God's spiritual, he's given us a spiritual essence, okay? In Genesis 2, in verse 7, Then the Lord formed man out of the dust from the ground, and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and man became a living being. Also in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3 and verse 11. Give you time to get there if you want to follow along. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. It says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. But man cannot discover the work of God as done from beginning to end. It says here that God has put eternity in our hearts. That's a part of our, our spiritual essence, that yearning. And I think that eternity is yearning to, to be with, with God, something greater. Sometimes we might not realize it, okay? Especially if we're not, if we're not Christian, if we're not, if we're not exposed to teaching. But there's, there's something there deep inside us that God has placed, that yearning uh, that we have. Aside from our spiritual essence, also our personality and our self-awareness. It's something that God has instilled in us. It's part of His essence. And in Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 20, it says, Then man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds, to the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found as his complement. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. 
This one will be called woman, for she was taken from me. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both man and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame. There's a self-awareness there. There was a self-awareness of being alone and, and needing, needing someone to, to complete man, okay? to make perfect. That's what complete means, to make perfect. Also, the scripture says they were naked, but they were not ashamed. They were self-aware of themselves. So we have a spiritual essence, we have our personality and our self-awareness, but we also have our mind and our will, something that God instills in us. And we have uh, also our moral accountability as well. So let's take a look at uh, our mind and what that's all about. Well, what is our mind? Our mind is our ability to perceive to understand, to reason, and store information. It's kind of like a, what is it, a computer. You built in, in, our, in our heads a computer, okay? And, and if you look at, at, at today, well, not today, but, well, today, but back, I can remember when, when like, a, the PC computer was first introduced. It was this great innovation. It was something great, almost beyond comprehension, but, but God gave us computers in our head when he created us. And it's our mind. Now the human mind is finite, meaning it's not the be-all, end-all. Okay? We can't understand everything. We don't get everything. We sit here in these classes here Sunday, Wednesday, Sometimes you have, some guys have classes during the week and we study and we hash out. I was talking to, to James about, he's always questioning, like, can, we really, can we really understand this? You know, can we really get underneath it all? And we can understand what we need to understand, but the mind is finite. We don't, we don't, we don't get everything. But what, we, what God has given us is the ability to know truly or to know truth. We do have that ability. And God has revealed this truth to us in statements understandable by our mind. <clears throat> He's given us the ability to understand His truth. He just hasn't put us out there, okay, I want you to do this. He's given us the tools to understand what He wants us to understand. In Luke 24 and verse 45, <clears throat> it says, Then He opened their minds to understand, to understand Scripture. Okay. Talking about Jesus. Now, both the Holy Spirit and our sinful nature influence our minds. And it's kind of a push and pull, okay? Uh, swaying us closer or further away from God. And this is represented in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. For the mindset of flesh is death, 
and we kind of talked about this in class, uh, the end result of living uh, an earth-worldly uh, way. But it starts with our mind. The mindset of flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. For the mindset of flesh is hostile to God, because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. Those who are in flesh cannot please God. The Spirit transforms our lives and transforms our minds, uh, and we learn uh, from the things that, that, that God teaches us, which we read about in Romans 2. Let's look at Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 23. where it says you are being renewed in your spirit, in the spirit of your mind. So the spirit is renewing our minds. And if we're using it correctly, uh, we're learning. Okay. And <clears throat> God develops the mind of Christ in us. So he's developing uh, the mind of the Savior in us. Okay, for us to be more like him. This is represented in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It's, we have the mind of Christ. Okay. Then there's our emotions, which is part of the mind, but our emotions are a little bit different from our mind. Our emotions represent our capacity to feel, uh, to feel good or bad toward things. Okay, you had a bad or have a bad day today. Things influenced us and, and kind of swayed our, our emotions. Okay, sometimes we just wake up hitting the floor in the morning, you know, and, and, and we have like a negative attitude about things. That's our that's our emotions working, uh, feeling good or bad towards events, and sometimes towards people. Sometimes we get emotional towards people. People tend to sway us because of the way we react to them or the way they react react to us. But it's best when the mind is controlling our emotions and not our emotions controlling our minds. Okay? Because the foundation of life, the way God has set it up, is that uh, not how we uh, it's not how we manage, it's, it's how we manage our thinking. It's not what we think. It's not what we feel. It's not our feelings. It's how we manage our thinking. And from an emotional standpoint, our emotions can't be fulfilled by uh, people or anything except for God. We're always, there's that desire wanting more, wanting comfort. Okay? That's our emotions work. And it can't be really fulfilled by anything. I mean, we can get comfort from people. We can we have friends, and if we're feeling down, or something something tragic has happened, we need that 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 circle of people to give us comfort. But that's only going to go so far. Really, nothing can give us that ultimate comfort to, for for God. And why is that? Because God has made us for Himself. We are we should be a reflection of God. Okay. Let's talk about our will. What is our will? 
Well, will is our faculty of choice. It's how we choose, how we make decisions uh, in our life. And God has given us free will. And what's that mean? Well, we can basically choose what we want to do. We can make our own decisions. That being said, is our will really free? Do we really have full free will? And I don't, I don't, I don't think we do. Because as people, we, we can't consistently choose what's right for us. We can't do it on our own. We can't consistently choose. Let me look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Because Paul's writing here, and I guess we're going to get into this on Wednesday. Chapter 7, Wednesday night. It says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my flesh. For I desire to do what is good with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. So we have, a, we have a free will in a sense, but it's not really free in and of ourselves because we don't have the ability to really, on our own, to choose the right thing. We have this, this tug of war, this, this push and pull between our sinful nature, which we talked about earlier, and uh, the Holy Spirit. So... Only God's grace uh, through salvation and spiritual growth restores our, our real true freedom of will. Okay. Then we have our conscience. And God's instilled in us a conscience. And what's our conscience? And our conscience is our moral accountability. Remember, we had the spiritual essence, uh, personality, our mind and will, uh, and our moral accountability. Well, that's what our conscience is. It's our capacity to, to distinguish between right and wrong. If our conscience is functioning correctly, it prods us towards doing good things. Okay? That's what we want. If you look in Genesis 3, chapter, uh, verses 8 through 10, It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to them, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. Adam and Eve here are displaying a good working conscience. Okay? They understand it that they did something that wasn't right, that was wrong. And there was a change going on here. But it was their conscience working, telling them that. Also, they realized that they were naked. They were trying to hide from God. They were, they, they were, they were fearful. That was their conscience working. Uh, because not all consciences work correctly. Um, sometimes uh, consciences get damaged. Uh, and they become insensitive, and they become unresponsive. 
And sometimes the scriptures call that a hardening of the heart. Uh, but in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it talks about this a little bit. It says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars, whose consciences have become seared. So, we can have our consciences become seared. Uh, what's that? Well, I remember when I was a uh, little kid, I, I was in elementary school, I think, and we had one of these wood stoves, okay, and uh, it, would all, it was always going. There was like a, like a poker stick. So, you know, kids are dumb. At least I was. You know, act and react before you, you really think. And the, the, the poker didn't look hot. It wasn't red. It wasn't, you know how something can get kind of like red looking? It wasn't. And I just, oh, look at that. And I reached for it. And it was hot and seared my whole, the tops of my fingers. And it became kind of numb. I couldn't feel it. And eventually, the skin dried up and, and, and fell off. That's what he's saying can happen to our conscience. Our conscience are seared. They become numb. Okay, they become dead. And, and we just have, it affects us in a lot of different ways, how we react to people, if we have empathy towards people, if we care about what happens to them in, in, in many, many capacities. That's what happens when our, when our, our conscience is seared, and God says that can't happen. As opposed to, as we read earlier, Adam and Eve's conscience, who was, their conscience was working. Okay, they understood that they did something that was wrong. Okay, by learning and properly using God's word, we can develop moral sensibilities. Okay, that's helping develop our conscience to a higher sensitivity. Okay, and it talks about solid food in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. When we develop ourselves, everyone who lives on milk is in experience with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. So our senses are being trained, okay, similar to our conscience. You know, are, are we sensitive to things? All right. So, one more scripture. It's in First Timothy, uh, verse four through seven. And this is Paul. But I have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It holds a promise for the present life, here and now. The life that we talked about in class, that we're not going to be like monks and sit, you know, and, and, and sit in our, our rooms and, and, and shelter ourselves and keep ourselves away from everyone else because we're, we're afraid to sin. 
to list the present life, but also for the life to come, which is what we're training ourselves for. It's the ultimate, the ultimate goal. So Paul here is asking us to imitate him and train in godliness, as he was doing. It's in a way similar to physical training. If anyone has ever trained for any kind of contest, whether it be like running or swimming or something like that, what do you need to do? What do you need to do when you're, when you're training? You have to be focused, you have to be consistent, and you have to be dedicated. Is that a bee? Looks like it. A little hornet or something. You have to be focused, you have to be consistent, and you have to be dedicated. Okay, and this is the kind of training that Paul's talking about. But he's talking about doing it from a spiritual point of view, with a spiritual mindset. Okay. Emulating some, you know, an Olympic athlete or a professional athlete that trains the physical body. And this is the way Jesus, this is the way Paul followed the example of Jesus. And he uh, lived through activities and way of living that he wasn't one-dimensional. Paul wasn't one-dimensional. He was he trained in a way, spiritually, that would develop his whole personality. Okay, because we have to deal with different things in life, different people. Uh, and Paul, if you, if you remember, uh, in a lot of his, his letters, his writings, he said he was all things, tried to be all things to all people, tried to relate to people on their level, okay? And that's the way Christ was when Jesus walked this earth. He was able to relate to people on their level, okay? And that was one of the great why he was, was so revered by the people, why the people followed him so much, and why uh, the leaders of his day resented him so much, because they weren't like that. Okay. In Christ, what did he do? He trained himself to be like the Father. Okay. So you have like Father, like Son, with the help of the Holy Spirit, a kindred spirit. And this is the image that we were made in. This is our validation as people on this earth. Okay? And this is at the very essence of our souls and our beings. Uh, that's who we're to become. And really, that's who we are if we're living correctly. Two twenty seven. Two twenty seven.